This morning, I'm starting a brand new series of sermons. I tried to be cute, and I'm not cute, okay? Um, my title of this series is Back to the Future. Are any of you old enough to remember the movie called Back to the Future? I wanted to get the hairdo that the professor had. I really did. We've got an old Chevrolet car around here that people drive. It makes a lot of noise. I really thought about pimping that car up and making it look like the car. I thought about opening these two double doors and driving that thing in here. And y'all know I'm capable of this, right? We already know that. But I, I was gone. I couldn't get it done. But that was my theory, uh, series. And I want to I talk about the importance of recapturing and sometimes just going back. And revisiting the things that we know to be so important. I'm going to be talking about the compassion of Christ. I'm going to talk about that this morning. Recapturing the compassion of Christ. I want to talk about next Sunday morning on the companionship of Christ. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about going back in order to step into the future. Got it? Got anybody understand where we're going? You see, today I want to talk about compassion. And I'm talking about returning not to my compassion or your compassion, but let's return to the compassion of our Savior. Let's let His compassion be put on our heart. My thought is, we need to serve with enthusiasm. With enthusiasm. Compassion is really just a compound word. Calm, passion. With passion. Excitement. Enthusiasm. I don't think it'll ever be the same. After visiting the drug rehab place. I don't think it'll ever be the same. Every one of our kids and the trips and, and the people who come from other places who go with us, once they go there, they say, that was one of the highlights of my life. 200 people. The devil had beaten and destroyed. Families destroyed. Lives destroyed. I can't even tell you some of the stories are there. But they have found forgiveness. They have found forgiveness. Freedom through the power of the Lord Jesus. They have found hope in Him. And when they worship, they worship like nothing I've ever seen. It's absolutely unhindered, enthusiastic worship. I read something about enthusiasm and it said this. What is enthusiasm? It's faith in something and enthusiasm for something. That makes life worth living. Be careful what gets you enthused. None are so old as those who have outlived enthusiasm. When you discover your mission, you will feel its demand. It will fill you with enthusiasm and a burning desire to get to work doing it. When you get hold of your mission. Enthusiasm. Come passion. 
Steve Droke said, knowledge is power, but enthusiasm pulls the switch, turns it on. And I like this, maybe because of where I am in life. Nobody grows old merely by living a number of years. We grow old by deserting our ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin. Don't say anything. But to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Serve with compassion. Serve with enthusiasm. Go back to his enthusiasm. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, and I also want us to look at Hebrews 12 for a moment. Michael, I want you to help me, if you would, just a moment. While you hold your hand there, I want to, uh, I just want to talk about this for a moment. Don't mistake nervousness for enthusiasm. I read something this week, kind of made me chuckle. Many a person gets a reputation for being energetic when in truth he's just fidgety. A lot of difference, right? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, I'm going to put this in context in a moment. When Jesus saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Can you change your future by revisiting the things that motivated you at the beginning? Can we change our future by going back to the cross of Calvary and getting a new dose? Can we change the direction of our church by remembering where we started? I believe we can. I really do. One of the greatest coaches that ever lived. It's not Michael, but I'm going to let him help me. Was a guy by the name of John Wooten. John Wooten coached 27 years at UCLA. He coached basketball. Come here and hold this thing for me, Michael. He coached 40 years. During the, those 40 years, he won 19 national championships. 19. His win-loss percentage, he won 833%. Of every game, the games that he played. Nobody's even come close. He died last year on July the 4th. People from all over the world sent tribute to John Wooten. But as I was studying him, I read something. Come on, my parents, stay by everybody. Every year, they had come back from a national championship. And he would get his whole team together. 
And they'd be sitting on the floor around him, and he'd hold this ball up like this, and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a basketball. This is what it's all about. Getting this ball through that hoop. National champions. He started right back at the basis. I want to say something to you this morning. God is speaking to our church. I've been through some battles in my life. We've been through some battles. I'm not going to enumerate the battles. Many of you know them. Our daughter was burned terribly. Madel and I were just almost destroyed when we were first married because the doctor told us after surgery that she had, you'll probably never be able to have kids. We found out God was bigger than that. We finally had to say, Lord, we've got enough. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You overdid it, God. You just plain overdid it. Our house burned. And I've had more things. I've walked through something. Every time God has brought us out. I've never faced anything like this. But I'm convinced of one thing. Where we focus will determine where we wind up. I want to say to our church this morning, like John Wooten said with a basketball, ladies and gentlemen, this is a basketball. And I want to say to you, while God is speaking to our church, while God is driving us, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. It's where we start. It's where we finish. It's how we travel. It's how we go. This is the Bible. I found something. This book said this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the ways of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of the believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. It's historic in its belief. Its, its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Christ is its subject, our good is design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is given to you in life. It will be opened in judgment, and it will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibilities, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holiness. This is the Word of God. Now, I want to challenge us today. Whatever your pursuit in life is, whatever you do, hear the Bible when it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy what? Might. So if you're a basketball coach or you're a businessman or if you're a wife or if you're whatever you are, hold that thing up. Go back and look at it and say, this is what God has me doing in my 
natural life. But I don't want anybody in this building to ever forget. Do the best you can with a basketball. But ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God, and it will stand forever. Let's make sure we are successful in carrying out the precepts of the Word of God. Thank you, Michael. God is calling us to prayer. I've heard prayers among our men and our people like I hadn't heard for a lot of years. Makes my heart want to dance. Because prayer is the key to everything. Prayer is the door to everything. It's the door to everything. It says we come to the throne of grace. Y'all know what that is? That's the storehouse of God. That's the holy place. Through prayer, I get to go to the bank of God. God's called us to prayer. I believe that God is calling us to unity. One for all, all for one. I may be ugly and I may be fat, but I love you. And I've loved some of you through the darkest hours of your life. And you know what? I'm telling you, I cannot even express to you what your reciprocal love to this preacher means to me right now. Because I know God is going to prevail. God's calling us to prayer. God's calling us to unity. And God is calling us to action. How can we act? Let's be a witness wherever we are. Let's read our Bible. Let's tell people about our church. Let's invite them. Walked in this morning. Precious lady in our church said, Pastor, I got two friends with me here this morning. My heart leaped within me. That's how you defeat the enemy, that's how you win the battle, by going and telling people about Jesus, by praying and doing what God wants us to do. My Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Amen? And I believe it. So what do we have to do? Look at your Bible now. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we have a story of Jesus doing wonderful things. Doing great things. Meeting people's needs. Let's read it together. Verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. Didn't leave anybody out. Teaching in their synagogues. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. What I want you to see is he was doing the right thing in the right place. He was ministering to people. He was going for God. He was doing what the Father had sent him to do. But don't you look at the next verse. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is, is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest. Wow. My first point is, we need to return to the original vision. You know what the original Original vision is God loves everybody. God loves you. God loves people. He had been meeting everybody's needs. But I remember 
when this church was born, we had a vision not to build buildings. That wasn't our vision. We had a vision not to try to make a name for ourselves. That wasn't a vision. We had a vision to reach the multitudes for Jesus Christ. When we were young, we did dumb things. Y'all know that? Most of you don't know that. We went down to what was that auditorium we rented and put it on, put on something. What was it? Ovens Auditorium. Wasn't enough of us to fill up a phone booth. And we rented the Ovens Auditorium put on a Christmas show. Hallelujah. You know why? We had our eyes on the multitudes. The first program that we performed and our choir and all our people, we, held, we put up a stinking tent at Christmas in the middle of the winter down here at the corner across from the speedway. It was so cold you had to put leggings on your ears. And we put on a program. We brought some people in here. We did the musical from Blackaby. And I'm telling you, we invited everybody. Our connection groups, when we started, were connection groups where everybody took their home who would volunteer. We had bunches of them. And they took their own neighborhood and they said, y'all can meet in my house. And we started trying to go to every neighborhood where we had a house and telling people about Jesus. The original vision of this church were the multitudes. Jesus was serving. He was helping this person. He was healing this one. He was healing that one. He was healing this one. He raised this one up. He was doing all that. And then all of a sudden, boom, he saw the multitude and he was moved back to that original vision. He said, this is why the Father sent me. Jesus was busy. He was successful. He was patient. But he was perceptive when he saw the multitudes. Compassion is energized by vision. Your passion will grow on what you feed it. Number two, we need to return to the real needs of people. He saw them as they were, and he saw them as they could be. I'm going to say something this morning. In my ministry, I've been in five churches. Two of those churches had over 8,000 members. I left a church with 8,000 members, running 3,500, and left there because I figured my time was there, was finished. I was co-pastor. I was the administrative pastor. We had a preaching pastor, and I was running everything in the church from the Sunday school to music, everything. Had over 100 staff members. And I left that church to go to a little church in Kokomo, Indiana. And the first Wednesday night, we had 27. And the first Sunday morning, we had 125. We had a big day coming to meet the pastor. I tried to get them in their own buses. I had more staff members than I had in the morning worship service on my first Sunday morning. He said, preacher, why? Because I knew God wanted me to go there. God saw what I didn't know. There was only one other Baptist church in the whole city. One. One. We started having people saved. 
There were 20,000 in the whole county. One Sunday morning, we had 1,700 in our church. We had almost 10% of the people in our church in the whole county had more people saved in that church than any other church I've ever been a part of per capita. We didn't get anybody transferred from churches. There wasn't any. Man, we got them saved. We had a man and woman walk down the aisle, and I was standing in the back, and they walked down, and their hair was so long and black, and they were in jeans, you couldn't tell which was a he and which was a she. And they came down, and they, they knocked, when they walked in the door, they said, we were playing cards the other night with somebody, and they told us, if you need to get saved, go over to that church over at Temple Baptist Church. They said, well, we didn't think about getting saved. So they walked in the back and came to the usher and said, can you get saved here? They didn't know anything. He said, yeah, just go down and sit about three rows in front. Preacher will tell you what to do. I gave the invitation. Down they came. About two years later, he surrendered his life for full-time service. He went off to Tennessee Temple. I never will forget the day he stood before our church and gave his first little sermon, five minutes. Here's exactly what he said. He said, folks, my knees are shaking so bad, my socks done shook down in my shoes. But I'm going to tell you what God's done. <laughs> you know, what God wants us to do is see the real need. He saw them as they were, but he also saw how they could be. Compassion clarifies the need. He says he saw them as a sheep having snow shepherd. Look at this. He said he saw them as fainted, scattered, sheep having no shepherd. Oklos is the word there. It's, it means a moving throng, just moving along, the rabble. It means a class of people. It means broken ones, the whole multitude. If it would ever dawn on this preacher and on you how broken we really are in the sight of God. All of our super pious sham would go off if I ever stand in his presence and compare myself to my Jesus. There's not a person in here who's not broken who doesn't need God to fix you. Not a person in here who would be willing to stand up here and God to put your whole life on the screen, all your thoughts, all your intents, and that's what he's going to do, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says there are five books that are going to be open at the judgment, and those are the books of the thoughts, those are books of intentions, those are books of actions, and those are books of opportunities. And the final book is the book of the Lamb, and that's the book of salvation. And God's going to say, anything not covered by the blood is going on the screen. And the whole world's going to know every thought you've ever thought. And the whole world's going to know everything you've ever done and I've ever done until the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And when I start praising Him that I am broken and He heals me, I don't know anything about praise yet. Thank God for who He is. I need to go back to the need for which we were started, and that was to help people to get to Jesus. Broken ones. Lord, I got an hour, one minute and 40 seconds. Those guys up there are laughing. They know I'm not going to make it. But I believe I am. But if I don't, 
I don't care. Fainted, the word means broken down, melted inside, needing encouragement. That's what that word means. Scattered means cast aside, flung to the side of the road. They need restoration. Lost sheep without a shepherd meant they have no guidance, no life. Lost, don't belong. They need a shepherd. We return also, we need to be reminded of the primary danger. You see, those people, they were lost. They needed Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the multitudes, how many believe in heaven? Y'all believe in heaven? I do. I really do. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm not sure. I'm not my predictor or nothing. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Jesus doesn't come sometime in the next 12 months. Does anybody here be surprised at that? I'm going to preach the final end of this year. I'm going to preach on preparing for 2012. You need to start reading your Bible. I'm looking forward to heaven. One of these days I'm going to be out of here. And if you're left and I'm gone, if I'm up here preaching and I'm gone and microphone falls, you're in trouble. You are in big trouble. That's right. <laughs> but you know what's also true? I mean, believe in hell. You know, there are a lot of people who believe in heaven and don't believe in hell. If you believe in heaven, the same God who said there's heaven also said there's hell. You know what I want to try to do? I want to try to rescue as many people as we can. We're going back to the future. We're going back to who we are. We're going back to where we came from. And then there's a return to commitment. He said, oh my goodness gracious, we need workers, we need leaders, we need people. He said, oh guys, look at the harvest, look at the harvest. And, and the laborers are few. This month, we're going to be asking you to consider in your heart, in your life, getting in a connection group, getting in a ministry, getting in some, uh, some kind of place where you can use who you are. And when we hit this year at the, at the beginning of September, I want us to be well-manned, well-trained, moving forward, doing something for Jesus Christ. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Passion prioritizes my commitment. The battle is large. It's the souls of men. The opportunity is now. Harvest is white, ready to be harvested. The warriors are few. The reward is incredible. Let's pray for reinforcement. Let me wrap it up here. What does a vision that sees the opportunity need? It needs an injection of enthusiasm. Passion. What does a heart that feels the need Lack. An injection of passion. 
What is a love that realizes the danger waiting those without Christ? It just needs a good old-fashioned injection of passion. What does a commitment that really desires to do something for God need? It needs a good old-fashioned injection of passion. Because when God's passion meets your commitment, when God's passion meets your vision, when God's passion meets your recognition of need, when God's passion gets a hold of us, my priorities are changed, my, my long-range goals are changed, I get in step with God. And if I'll just take a few moments to go back for a moment, then I'll be able to go forward forever.